Hi, everybody. This is Tony Khan, the producer and director of Morning Stories from WGBH in Boston. Summer on Cape Cod is definitely over, but my memories of my summers on Cape Cod are just beginning to stir again. I think it's the memory of my earliest summer in Cape Cod when I was 11 that gets stronger and stronger for me. That summer ended with an incident that was so ghastly and so glorious that, well, I can't get it out of my mind. It was 1955, and I was spending the summer with my family in Barnstable on Cape Cod. Hundreds of years before, pirates had sailed the area, and my older brother Jim and my cousin Henry told me that under the sign of the Jolly Roger, Captain Cook himself had buried treasure nearby, maybe on the very spot where we were staying. All through that summer, I'd stare at the backyard and I'd dream of finding the buried treasure right there. But the older kids had no interest in my fantasies. All they wanted was to play with each other and keep me, the punk, as far away as possible. Then somehow, two days before we left, I persuaded Jim and Henry to uh, dig a few holes with me in the backyard. Just before nightfall, Henry uncovered a broken pearl and the three of us stared at each other under the full moon with a wild surmise, realizing we might be onto something very big. The next day we started early. We dug, we broke for lunch, we dug again, and then, late that afternoon, I noticed a stump at the edge of the yard. There was something strange about it, like the, the dirt around it was smooth, as if the stump didn't have any roots. My heart started to pound. I went to the stump. I set my hands against it. I pushed, and the stump moved. In the ground beneath it was a hole. In the hole was a box, and in the box, the buried treasure of Captain Cook. There in my hands, at last, lay the glowing gems of my wildest dreams. I spent the rest of that day in an indescribable state of excitement, imagining myself on the front page of Life magazine, Little Kid Discovers Buried Treasure. Finally, I was going to be somebody, not just a little punk that no one noticed. I was washing the dirt from those jewels in the sink when my little cousin Olga, Henry's younger sister, came in and broke the news. Tony, she said, it's a hoax. For the past two weeks, my older brother and my cousin had plotted every move. They had bought the coins at a souvenir store in Barnstable. The jewels had come from the five and dime. Even the idea of digging under the stump had apparently come from them. They'd led me in that direction and then put the notion in my head. I stood there at the sink, watching the dirt from my treasure spiral down the drain. It's been almost 50 years since my older brother and cousin sprung that trap. My older brother, and a kinder man you couldn't meet, is still apologizing for it. I spoke to him last night. But if I had to do it all over again, I told him, I wouldn't change a thing. Jim and Henry may have known that the treasure I held in my hands was fake, but I didn't. For that one glorious moment, while I held that pile of junk up to the sun, I felt like I was the richest person in the world. For the first time in my life, my imagination had been set completely free to turn trash into treasure and to show me how beautiful life can be when it's lit by the light of your dreams. 
Captain Cook was a pirate. He stole things of beauty and he buried them in the ground. But thanks to Jim and Henry that day, I'd reached into the ground and from the cheapest trinkets they could find, I'd made a moment of glory, which I'll never forget and nobody got hurt. And that's the sweetest piracy of all. That was today's morning story, Buried Treasure. I'm here with Gary Mott, an older brother. So yeah. I'm wondering in that story, yeah. do you identify more with the, the little victim that I was or the little victimizer that my older brother was? My brother and I shared a room. And however hard we tried, you know, masking tape, a sheet down the middle of the room, you know, we just couldn't find our own space. Understandably and inevitably. Uh-oh. It's beginning to sound really bad. You're already making excuses for yourself. I gave him a jab to the abdomen one time, and he fell back on the bed. He turned beet red, and I thought I'd killed him. I ran into the bathroom, started crying, praying, coming to the realization that I had just killed my little brother. And we love each other very much today. <laughs> he just, he stopped breathing because he hit him in the stomach in the old I, I knocked plexus. I knocked the wind out of him. My wife, Harriet Risen, had that done to her, and it had never happened before, and she thought she was going to die. So one thing an older brother can definitely do for a younger brother is to say, look, I'm going to hit you in the stomach, but you're going to survive, Okay. Are you sorry, Gary? Incredibly sorry. <laughs> and, you know. This is why that story is such a touchstone that it kind of taught me that, you know, the art of living is in how you look at things, as long as you can survive them. <laughs> if it's a speeding truck, get out of the way. But otherwise, you know, it's how you look at it. I've met your brother. He's, he's a wonderful man. Yeah. Did he hit you in the stomach? Uh, he did, did you not. hit him in the stomach? No, but, but he apologized <laughs> to me for hitting you. We've been hearing from uh, a lot of people. One uh, from a lady named Andrea in Pennsylvania. She says, uh, wow, what an incredible morning story. She was referring to the story uh, called Dancing Through History. She said, I'm a faithful morning story listener via podcast, and Dancing Through History really captivated me. That was the story of the young Cambodian boy, Virakang. Like many people, she's curious. She wanted to know, how are things with uh, Virak and his family? Garrick and, his... uh, and his family have recently uh, been in some family counseling, and out of that came some positive things. Virak was able to say things to his mother that he really had never been able to say before. Sounds like they're able to, in that setting at least, tell each other some more stories about what their own lives are like. And we certainly believe that the more people can do that and hear each other's stories, the greater the chance they're going to realize that their their problems are common ones. And maybe from that can come some, some common solutions. We got another email from a fellow with the, I don't know if it's the given name, Bazooka Joe, but that's the name he uses. He says, uh, good morning. I've been enjoying morning stories since, oh, February. The warmth and intimacy of the people you bring on the show is something I look forward to each week. And being bombarded by shrill shock jocks and newscasters full of doom and gloom morning stories is a breath of fresh air. 
Morning Stories has been an inspiration for my own podcast, Small World. That's www.smallworldpodcast.com. The tagline is that I talk with people from all walks of life from all over the planet. He's like a citizen journalist who's turning the telephone into, once again, an instrument of communication and not telemarketing. So good for you, Bazooka Joe, and definitely check out his podcast. Uh, We also got a letter from Todd, who um, uh, gives us some thinly veiled praise. (laughs) Thank you, Todd, for that. (laughs) Hi, Tony. I've been a podcast listener for a while and a big fan of Morning Stories. I'm not sure if this is accurate, but it seems to me there is a trend in Morning Stories to add more sounds, music, and effects to the podcast. But I feel these effects detract from my listening experience in general, and I would greatly prefer additional verbal description over a sound effect. Todd. Well, Todd. We'll give it some thought, and uh, we'll get back to you on it. Uh, I am reminded of uh, some of the wisest words that I ever heard from a public speaker who said, excuse me, ladies and gentlemen, but if I had had more time to prepare, then I could be brief. So, Todd, we'll think it through, but, I mean, stories definitely come first, and we don't want anything to to interfere with that. Hi, Tony and crew. I am a new listener. Thanks to your podcasts, I can listen to morning stories as I ride my bike to work through Sydney City every morning. For a living, I make television commercials, short films, and animation for television. I was listening to the story by Portland Helmick. Oh, that's the one about her meeting her friend. Yep, the first all time, the time in the world. Day. And got such a buzz at the story and started to imagine it done as a watercolor animation. What is a watercolor animation? I don't know. <laughs> I've never done one, but that's the best way to describe what I am seeing. I am wondering if you might be able to put me in contact with Portland Helmick so I can exchange some emails about the possibility of making this happen. I think the story is absolutely beautiful. His name is Douglas, and actually we did put him in touch with Portland, who was delighted to hear from him. And, of course, we will demand our 10% take of everything of that you make, Douglas, which I'm, I'm assuming in the spirit of um, new startup operations, maybe nothing, nothing but the satisfaction. And, in fact, we can understand it because we are lucky enough to actually have some financial support from a truly generous company, Ipswich, a leader in file transfer software. Our sponsors pretty much since this podcast began. Their website, www.ipswich.com. They are promiscuously generous, if you ask me, right, Garrett? They now have contacted The World, which produces a tech podcast Mm -hmm. hosted by Clark Boyd. Mm -hmm. And they are also sponsoring Clark's tech podcast. podcast now. And we have a website, too, WGBH dot org slash morning stories and you know we love this email that we've been getting how about some more morning stories at wgbh.org and even if you don't write we'll still have the pot on you ready with a nice fresh cup of coffee next friday so join us for another morning stories then okay see ya <laughs>